Uh-oh, it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever meet them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. I have the biggest smile on my face right now because the hideout that you just watched, you actually can't go to. It is sold out, officially sold out one week from today, September 23rd through the 25th, the hideout. The winter is coming, though, and the wait list has already happened. Um, but I wanted to welcome all of you to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where attitude is everything on today's show. Uh, I am blown away. I am humbled in just in the small amount of time that I got to spend with this young man before the show actually started. Um, to be able to talk about the things that we're going to talk about and what we've, what him and I have already talked about is something that is so close to my heart. It's something that I think is missing in this country. I think it's missing in this world. I think it's missing in uh, generation upon generation upon generation. And uh, I think that it's amazing to be able to have this conversation, but not from a theory standpoint, from a man who actually does it, who lives it, um, and who is, uh, you know, building something uh, that is going to be a legacy for so many people. Um, and I think it's incredible. And the, the well, people always talk about the reason why, and it's a buzzword right now. But this man, this man is doing what he's doing with a, a solid reason for the uh, every single thing that he does. And it's because of his family. It's because of not only the, the success that he had, but some of the hurt that he's had that we're going to talk about as we go through. But I want to congratulate this young man. I want to congratulate him on his journey. Um, we, I just found out that he's uh, two months older than me, so I have to actually respect him today uh, because he is my elder. Um, but I, I am blown away. I am honored to have this young man on the show. Uh, so please welcome Mr. Jason Julius. Kelly, thank you very much, brother. How are you today? I'm doing amazing, man, but I feel bad about my voice. I told you earlier, man, you sound like a late night with love uh, radio station with that voice, man. Has that always been? Did you come Did you come out the the, the womb sound like Froggy from uh, uh, Little Rascals or what? I mean, you know what? That you look for all the things that you can be blessed with in life. And, uh, and yeah, I guess my father blessed me with a deep voice. And, and I've had a lot of people tell me over the years that I've had a radio voice. 
And I thought sooner or later I might actually uh, put that to the test. And and yes, that's that's what I've been doing over the last year. That's been the new project is is seeing how well my voice resonates. <laughs> well, let's get the particulars out there. If you're going to check him out on Instagram, it's at Jason Julius on yeah, that's on uh, IG, on Facebook, on, uh, you know, Twitter. Um, double. Uh, what is it? It's double J TV on YouTube also. And yeah. I want you to I want you to check out his podcast because this man, I mean, this podcast, it, it's really making a difference and it's talking about things that are relevant. And it's not like what I love about you, Jason, is you're not just talking about theories. You're doing it and then describing what you're doing. So you're just you're only talking about what you actually do. Can you tell me why that is so important to you in your message? And towards that end, it's the I guess the, the misnomer, because I'm getting a lot of people where I'm getting a little bit of pushback for what I'm saying in that I'm saying a lot of the things that I am because I care, uh, because because I'm fearful for the future of the country, because I see like soft attitudes in general and whether it be life or business in general, it's like then I get people disagree with this where I say, well, quality of life is more important than life itself. Uh, and then people want to read into that different ways. And I'm like, well, don't don't look at it negatively. What I'm saying is ultimately you are responsible for the quality of your life and taking the discipline to do like working out. It sucks, but it sucks less than being feeble, than being weak. And and like my business coach says, be be kind to your future self. Uh, so I'm I'm going out of my way to display personal accountability, uh, and I'm hoping that that resonates with people because in building my business, I have been up on failure so many times, and the only reason people were willing to help me is because they saw that I was willing to hold myself personally accountable that that I didn't play a victim, that I didn't make excuses, that that I just openly admitted I made mistakes, but I'm learning. And I'm doing everything I can to apply that knowledge to the next. And and I'm trying to be humble and not let my pride get in the way and legitimately ask for help. Um, if I if I have a regret, it's that social media has been going on for a long time. And I wish that I had started talking about my journey earlier in my journey. What? How have you been affected by talking about your journey? We were just talking about this before we started the show. And there's sometimes when you start off with a message, people want to take your message and they want to turn it into a sales pitch and they want to take it away from you. And then they want to put their words and their methods in your mouth. And it's like what I've seen with you is that, and I want to encourage you with it, is that you're able to just be yourself as you move along. Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, the thing is, if you're going to, it's like, I, I'm just so big about accountability that, that I have to own it. I'm responsible for me. I also, at this point, happen to be responsible for about 80 other people. So I tell them that, like, if you make a mistake, it, it's my mistake. I have to own it. But when it comes to my words, I'm, I'm a big believer that, like, I don't want somebody else necessarily speaking for me because I'm going to be held accountable for my words. So I don't want somebody else um, censoring me or somehow changing the message of what I'm saying, because however you receive it, 
I'm going to be held accountable for it. And if I let somebody else write my words and I'm just scripted, uh, well, then one, it's not me talking. I'm not being real. And you can say a lot of things about me, but but, but fake is not one of them. Uh, I, I am who I am. And uh, and authentic is something that I was told that, that that resonates with people. I'm finding out that it offends about as many as it resonates with. But all I can do is be me. Uh, I, I'm just I, I'm trying to to live my own life, pursue my own happiness. And, and at the end of the day, in order to be, to hold myself accountable, I got to be able to look at myself in the mirror and live with myself. Uh, so I got to be true to myself. I love how you own the, the, when you talked about failures, right. And, you know, you've heard people say before that, you know, you either win or you learn and that they take those failures as lessons. And it seems like you are the, the poster child for this, Jason. Um, can you can you talk to us uh, too about some of those failures, some of the things? Because I think that we are, we as people, are more motivated. This is what my brother told me: more motivated by seeing people. Not that we're excited to see them fail, but a lot of times when they fail, then they become human to us. And so, can you share with us some of those things on your journey, and as specific as possible? Because I think there's people out there going through, and they see the people on the jets, or they see the people in the Bentleys, and they say, like, "Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get there." So it almost it demotivates them when people are flashy. Whereas you're wanting to send that message all the way through, like, "I'm in it right now," or "I'm failing," or "I failed at this thing." Can you talk to us about some of the specifics? Brother, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, I mean, because I, I, I do want to say that, like, because real entrepreneurship, uh, it, it's not this glamorous life. And and if you do it right and you do it consistent and you do it for a long period of time, uh, there are there's a percentage of people that are able to find their way into that that glamorous life. But when you figure that 50 percent of the, the country is small business like those people, it's about like, you've got a passion for football, but how many of you are actually going to make it to the NFL? Let's be realistic about this. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy play in the game. It doesn't mean that you can't be good, but how many people make it to that level? And, and, and it's like, I'm just a big believer in being honest. Uh, And then when you think on a deeper level about that, like I was a big proponent of don't be your own worst enemy. Well, then I found another way that potentially I am my own worst enemy uh, because I fear that my ambition is going to get in the way of what's most important to me, uh, which is my freedom and enjoying my daily life. Like I watched the, the show, The Founder. I mean, it was very inspirational for me because I'm in the same space. I don't want to die working, though. Uh, that I don't want to be working to the grind at 67 years old and then die in the middle of working. I actually want to live and appreciate and enjoy. And what I'm getting at is that there are businesses that can grow to the hundreds of thousands or the low millions. And if you do them well, they can be lifestyle businesses that will provide you the life that you want so that you can enjoy the freedom and the fruits of your labor but if you let your ambition get in the way and, and now a million is not enough, you, you got to push for five million and a five million is not enough. You got to push for 10. OK, I'm in that right now. I have built several from zero to seven figures and 
due to my ambition, I'm in the process of franchising and I know the potential is billions of dollars, but I'm also looking at that going, every level requires another level of learning and it requires another level of work. And that takes away from my freedom. And when I went into business, I I left Chrysler for freedom and I inevitably created my own jail for the next decade. And once I finally realized there's a better way of doing this and I started to achieve that freedom, well, I'm in year 17 now and I'm about ready to go to that next level. And I'm fearing, am I doing something that is actually, yeah, there might be a higher level of freedom to be achieved, but how much freedom do I have to give up in order to achieve that? Because scaling a business up into the hundreds of millions of dollars it is a whole nother level of responsibility, learning and commitment. And the more commitment you make, the less freedom that you have to live your life. And, and it's something that I'm legitimately grappling with today um, because the other side of it is I, I don't, I don't want to control everything. You can't scale by controlling everything, but there is a certain amount of getting in there and getting your hands dirty. That is just simpler required in any endeavor. And, and that's mentally what I'm grappling with today, because I want to talk about everything that I've learned and all the mistakes that I've made, but yet I'm still in my learning journey and, and very much putting myself through school even today, because I, as an entrepreneur, I don't want to get in the way of, of the potential of the companies. And I've laid a foundation that like millions of dollars is not the potential of these companies. Uh, Coffee Junkies and Pizza Junkies franchising. I mean, you just do the numbers. 50 stores in 50 states is 2,500 operations. That's two to $3 billion a year. If these businesses don't reach their potential, then I did something wrong. Either I didn't get out of the way and bring in the right person, or I didn't give up enough freedom and work hard enough. And, And I've already laid those foundations where I'm like, is this what I wanted? Well, it doesn't matter. I've already made investments and made decisions that's put me in this position because I look back and I'm like, you know what? I could have just been happy with having a couple operations and and ran them well and, and had a lifestyle business, but I've already started to move to that next level. And I just want to encourage people to really think about, I mean, just how deep is your ambition Uh, Because there's a lot of responsibility and there's always another big mistake that you can make that could very well set you back once you finally get to that level of freedom. Jason, how much is enough? And that's the whole that's the thing right there is that uh, that's what I grapple with with myself mentally, because um, where I mean, because there's been a lot of talk about motivation and discipline. Um, One, I challenge myself at least once a year, like uh, for three years, I fasted a water fast for the first 20 days of February. Then I got to the fourth year and because of everything I had going on in business, uh, I broke the fast after five days and my business coach was like, I hear it. You're disappointed in yourself. You either have to start the fast or find a new challenge. And anybody that knows anything about fasting, you don't just restart a fast. There's, (laughs) there's there. Um, but I instantly went into 75 hard. I do that to prove to myself mentally that I still have the discipline to take on anything that I want to do, but it's because I know life is going to challenge you. And I would rather challenge myself 
And then when it comes to motivation, I have an internal motor that doesn't shut off that I do more to keep it in check than I do to actually get it fired up. I, I'm a naturally high strung individual. So when you say how much is enough, it, it's like, I don't even think of it in that terms. I think of it as a, I don't want to be my own worst enemy. I want to operate in high character. Uh, I want to pursue my potential and I want to enjoy my life and, and whatever comes out of that comes out of that where I'm just putting one foot in front of the other every day and where it leads me, it leads me. And, and I've had a couple people give me pushback because I'm not real overly big on goals because if the goal is an easy goal, well, then you're not, you're not challenging yourself enough. If it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, well, then it's not realistic. So I set targets and, and I think that it's the same premise because I'm not trying to badmouth people that use goals in general. But I'm just trying to live my life and, uh, and, and in a happy, healthy manner, because I do look at my parents and I'm like, I, I don't want to be like them at 70 because I don't think that they took enough time to really think about what they were doing in their 40s and 50s, thinking about how it would affect them at 70. Um, I'm ambitious. A lot of that is natural, though, because I have a natural drive. And when I look at anything in life, then it comes down to self-discipline. And all it takes for me is to see an example that it can be done. Well, once I see that it can be done, then I'm like, well, I, I'm no better or worse. I might be a little bit different, but if I see that it can be accomplished, well, then I know that I'm capable of accomplishing it because I don't think other people are necessarily more special than the other. I mean, yeah, not everybody's an Elon Musk. I mean, that, that dude's kind of freakishly intelligent. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I'm like, if you understand your brain and you tap into the capabilities of your brain, you're capable of extremely big things. Um, but the question is, how introspective are you going to be? How self-aware are you going to have your brain control you? Or are you going to get control of your brain? And and that's my whole thing is that I, I see that successful people it, practice extreme discipline. Uh, and and I, I can't speak for for where people come across their motivation, because I see some people search out coaching for motivation and, and to which then I'll be honest and be like, when it comes to entrepreneurship, if, if you need an external force to motivate you, entrepreneurship might not be right for you uh, because, because you're, because it's a competition. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people out there like me that, that have that internal drive, that internal motor. Um, they can call on that at any moment. If you have to stop and say, hey, time out, I got to call my coach to get motivated. Well, you're going up against the guy that's like, hey, no, dude, I'm ready to go now. I mean, so I look at that and I'm like, I know that I'm built for entrepreneurship, but but it is that struggle because I want to enjoy uh, and I do enjoy business in general. I'm not going to lie about it. I enjoy the, <laughs> the problem solving and the negotiation but I also really enjoy those quiet times near the big bodies of water. I, I enjoy the quiet times at the beach and the solitude and getting lost in a book or in my own thoughts. And it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> Jason, have you heard the story about the fishermen down in, uh, in Mexico? Nope. Huh? 
I'm going to absolutely murder this, uh, <laughs> this story. But uh, there was a, a fisherman down in Mexico. He would go out, uh, or very early in the morning, he had his own uh, fisherman's spot. Or he had his own spot where he'd go fish. And he would catch the best fish, and he would come back. He would be back to the dock about 11 o'clock um, before noon. He would sell off half of the fish um, to be able to make an income, and then he would take the rest of the fish, that, uh, the, the, or he would sell off 75% of it, and then he would take 25% home to his family to be able to feed his family. By uh, 1 o'clock, he was back at the house. He was playing uh, his guitar with his family and uh, spending time with them, and they enjoyed it. They ate the fish, and then they went to, you know, he went to bed early, and he did it again. There was a guy from America that came down and saw him, uh, you know, go out and come back and the guy from America went fishing too and when he went fishing he the American guy came back with nothing the the little Mexican fisherman came back and he had all the best fish well the American guy said hey where did you get that fish where do you fish at and he told him and he said I'll take you out and he took the American guy out the next day and sure enough they catch a bunch of fish the Mexican guy sells off uh, 75% of it and then goes home to his family and plays his guitar and hangs out with his family and they eat well and they uh, enjoy their life and the uh, American guy gets the idea the next morning he comes to the Mexican guy and he says hey you know if you can show me where uh, exactly how to get to this fishing spot I can bring investors down and we can buy a hundred ships and if we buy 100 ships and we go fish this place, we could turn this into a multi-million, if not billion-dollar business. And he said, uh, you know, this can happen. And over the course of 10 years, if you do it right and we work hard and we just focus in on this in 10 years, then you'll be able to retire. You'll have as much money as you want. And then you can, you know, play your guitar and hang out with your family and do all those things as much as you want. And the fisherman looked at the American guy and said, I already do that. And... A man told me this story when I was building my business, when I was growing at a, a, at a crazy rate. And what he was saying is exactly what you talked about and where we as entrepreneurs a lot of times fall into. We're that little fisherman that has the place that's amazing. We spend time with our family and we feed our family. And we do great things. And then a lot of times people come in and say, I'll invest in it. I'll blow it up. And when I blow it up, then you'll take 10 years away from your family to be able to get back to the point where you are right now. And the, uh, the Mexican fisherman was smart enough, wise enough to say, I already do that right now. And so it was, uh, it was given to me by a guy named David Hamilton. And I, I killed the story completely. And uh, nope. there's, a, there's a lot of people uh, out there that'll be like, oh, the story went this way and that way. But it went this way today. But I, I just, I, and I hope that ministers to you, uh, Jason, because I think that you're amazing. Let's go, let, I'm going to rewind in time. So we're going to rewind back to 2005 because when people hear you and they hear your drive, that intense fire, sometimes people are like, oh, well, he's just built like that. So, you know, it's not me. But there's a reason why this fire really ignited in 2005 and really took you to another place and took you to a purpose you know, and locked into a purpose. And that's why I believe that pizza junkies and coffee junkies grew at the rate that it did, not just because Jason is the baddest entrepreneur and blue-collar man out there that's willing to do the work, but because he had a purpose behind it. Talk to us about 2005. Well, I mean, and that right there is when you get into the, that, that's that dichotomy that I'm struggling with. So, uh, I mean, I, again, blue-collar guy, I worked at Chrysler, uh, stupidly, I say stupidly, I did something stupid at Chrysler uh, that should have cost me my job and a union rep stepped in and, and argued for me. And it was my, my good work ethic. The fact that I that I did good work that got them to overlook my stupid action. 
Uh, but the point is, what'd you do, me- Jason? What'd you, you, you told me earlier that you, you, uh, that nothing was off limits. So I'm going to ask if it's off limits, then you just say like, say the safe word peacock. You know what I'm saying? No, like you're fine. So, yeah, I mean, I want to preface this. Like <laughs> I'm thinking I'm like 23 years old at the okay. time, right. but we're, we're running third shift and we're running parts. And one of my buddies across the aisle does one of these things. And so stupidly, nobody was around. I chucked that part. Well, as soon as it released my hand, the plant manager for third shift comes around the corner on his cart. And that part landed and smacked a table about a foot from his head. And I mean, this wasn't no small part. I mean, this was cast iron. Like it could have killed him had it hit him. Um, And the dude wanted my job by all rights at the moment. And it was one of those where uh, that and and Bill is still a very good friend of mine today. But that's where I met my union rep. And, And he argued for me that. Like I didn't have an attendance problem. I didn't have a, a tardy problem. My, my scrap salvage guy was like, this guy doesn't run bad parts. He's just young and he made a stupid decision. Uh, and, and he was able to, to get me that second chance. And that's been my big thing in life that, that I think everybody deserves a second chance because sooner or later, everybody does something stupid. Um, but that's what turned me on to the union. And I, I looked at Bill and I was like, this guy gets paid to represent people and get them second chances if they do something stupid. So I wanted to become a union rep. And when I became a union rep, um, which was like a ceiling had been lifted because a blue collar guy, now I'm able to more or less be an in-house lawyer. uh, And I represented about 500 people, but my son was diagnosed with cancer 30 days after I got elected. Uh, A couple relapses. Uh, he dies 30 days before re-election. I wasn't up for the politics, man. Um, I ran in my re-election. I got beat. And uh, and in, in a lot of ways, uh, I felt betrayed by the people because uh, w- when he got sick, everybody asked, I mean, are you going to step down? And I was like, no, um, I asked for this responsibility. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to do my job. So uh, I and and he was a twin, so we I was dealing with his brother and his sister and my wife, and but I had a job to do. I still got to put food on the table, and I asked for the responsibility. But when he didn't get reelected, or when I didn't get reelected, uh, I it it felt like betrayal. And part of that was that, like in a factory, there's no two ways about it. Like you go in there, and whatever job you do, the whole point is you're gonna push this button. A thousand, two thousand times a day, do it well. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but that's the general of mass manufacturing. So, losing my election, I went from representing 500 people and happened to be just firing with my brain to go back to the job that I came from and start pushing that button again, two thousand times a day. Uh, well, when I'm grieving over the loss of my son, I'm like, this doesn't work for me. And I realized that if I didn't give myself, my brain, something to wrap around that, that I could potentially like really bad things could happen. Uh, and previous years, I had a, a buddy of mine that he was walking in with this little cup and telling me that he was paying $4 for it. And it was espresso. And I was, so I was like, well, that's not your mom and dad's like that. That's not grandpa's coffee, that 50 cents a cup. 
So over the years, I had been chewing on an idea that ended up being coffee junkies, but I just didn't do anything with it. That wasn't the path that I was on. So you combine, I need something for my brain to wrap around. And when we lost Connor, it was a, I realized it, I did not make any decisions. I had to endure the consequences of other people's decisions And I just told myself that had I been in control, things would have been different. Um, Think and read into that what you will. Uh, All of the red that is in the business represents my son. My business is the reincarnation of my son. If my business fails, then then there would have been no different outcome with me being in control. So failure is not an option for me because I told myself, had I been in control of this situation, the results would have been different. So through the trials and tribulations and all of the mistakes and the ups and downs, failure's never been an option. And, and I will tell, I mean, to anybody listening to this, like, yes, Your why has to be stronger than money. And yes, you will quit if it is just about money. And yes, you have to get up every single day and put one foot in front of the other. And failure and the word quit cannot be in your vocabulary because it will be hard enough at some point that if that's in your vocabulary, you'll find a way to quit. You'll find a way to become your own worst enemy and fail. And and quit has just never been a part of my vocabulary. Failure is not an option. Um, One of the ladies that has been with me for the last 10 years, I mean, I'm not so proud to say that there have been some dark moments where the days get so bad, I'll, I'll be in the corner with a bottle in my hand and she'd come down and be like, lick your wounds tonight. Because I'm going to be down here to collect you tomorrow. You know, failure is not an option. And she's right. And I licked my wounds because you just get beat up in, in, I mean, you get beat up in business. And, but it was always a, all right, I had my moment. Now it's get up and put one foot in front of the other. And it is a two steps forward. Sometimes it's five steps back, but it doesn't matter. I don't know how to quit. I, I've long said handcuffs or straight jacket. That's the only way that I'm going to quit. And I, and it's like, I, I'm not doing anything illegal, but when you work for a decade for free, it feels like you're doing something illegal because it's just not right to have to figure out how to live and survive making no money for a decade. And you do run the risk of it driving you crazy. Uh, but that's how I've always told myself, handcuffs or straight jacket. That's the only way that I'm quitting because I'm just not willing to quit. I'm not willing to quit on myself. I'm not willing to quit on the people that depend on me for their livelihoods. And, and I'm damn sure not willing to quit because every day, even if things were to fail today, then there still would have been a different outcome or there wouldn't have been under my control. Failure is not an option. And and, and some people will tell me that that's unhealthy, that you do you, I do me. That's, that, that's, that's how I got to live. So, uh, Jason, let's take it back 
because I, I like to know the construction of these things, right? I mean, I think it's a, a it's a phenomenal way, um, you know, a mentality, and I think a, a, an incredible attitude to be able to have. Um, you know, that that failure, or that quit, is just not an option. And but let's go back to young Jason, right? Um, when you were saying it's born in you, or you have that thing, um, I'm I'm to the uh, theory. This is just a theory that. These things, a lot, a lot of times, they're construct. There's a lot of things that are constructed too, and so talk to us about some of the elements of young Jason that maybe your parents imparted, or grandparents, or your aunts or uncles, or things that you saw, whether it was that you wanted to be or what you didn't want to be when you were a kid, that helped to be able to shape this. Because um, for a person to go from zero to Jason, right? So if they're listening out there, for for them, where they're like, oh man. I've been down on myself from my mindset. And then they hear you. They're like, wow, there's hope. But also they want to know like, okay, so where did it start? So let's go back to early Jason and let's talk about some of those lessons that were able to build this Jason that I'm talking to right now. Okay. Well, I mean, I, you know how, uh, when you're in school, like, and of course, maybe it's not like this anymore. When I was in school, as you come close to graduation, they would start, you, you're the most likely to do this. You're the most likely to do that. Okay, well, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I was the most likely or one of the most likely to end up dead or in jail. Uh, like uh, like I was a consummate screw-up as a kid, uh, but I was always willing to work. Uh, I went to work full-time at 14 years old uh, because it was Shoney's, uh, uh, washing dishes and taking care of a salad bar because I could walk to work. And then when I got to be 15, I took the money that I earned and I bought a moped so that I could get a little further to work. Uh, I turned 16 at my first pizza delivery job the day that I got my license because it was a, a, a little bit of freedom in general, but uh, it was rebellious. All I can say is I was never, I was always with the wrong crowd, but I was never in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and I was no good in school. Uh, I was always good in math, but I, but I was no good in school. Uh, so in those years, like I said, yeah, I mean, I was a consummate screw up. And even when I got my job at Chrysler, uh, like I said, it was about 25 that I realized that maybe I wasn't as dumb as what I thought I was. But the other side of it is, is that I did realize pretty early on uh, that, uh, that you got a left brain and a right brain. Well, my father is heavily left brained. And my mother is heavily right-brained. So when I really started breaking that down, my sister and I, I mean, if there's something that I've been blessed with is that we got an equal balance of both. So I'm able to hop back and forth between my left brain and my right brain. Uh, I enjoy working in both sides of my brain. Um, it was only later on in life that I realized that I also looked at my families and I have one side of my family that is just steeped in blue collar, get your hands dirty, hardcore work ethic. And I got an entrepreneurial side of my family that they literally created many businesses. And I didn't find that out till later on when I started questioning, like, where does this entrepreneurial drive come from? Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm literally, some of it is genetics. I, I look at from my side of it. Some of it is circumstances. Some of it is just a, a product of life that you live. Um, but, but I told myself for a long time that, that I was going to be happy working with my hands because I knew I wasn't afraid to work. Uh, it's just that uh, 
in life, there is going to be a million opportunities presented to you. And you're just going to have to decide which ones you're going to take up on and which ones you're going to pass on. And, uh, and, and the ones that I took up on are of what got me here today. So Jason, let's go back before you were 14. So 14 Shoney's happens, right? But at that point, you've already got some work ethic. And what I found throughout my travels, and I, I study uh, people like you, very successful people, and I don't think about success as money. It's not for me stuff and things. It's about people who are in line with their purpose and that they're working that purpose every day. That's what success is to me. So I want to preface that before I say successful. But I, I study people like yourself that are highly successful at what they do in, in their life. And what I found is that a lot of times there's some traumas that cause them to be able to move towards. Now, we already talked about 2005, but when you talk about that type of work ethic, almost every single time that I talk to a person with crazy work ethic, something has impacted them earlier than the work started to get them going and, and help us to understand, I mean, is, is this part correct or um, is there something that maybe happened you know, early on, whether it be discipline from dad, discipline from mom or something that you saw? Because when I say this, I'll explain it um, a little bit deeper. I remember there was a point where um, my mom was really struggling. And I remember her struggling because there was financial struggles. And I remember hearing a song by Kanye West. And it said, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I saw my mom on the kitchen floor and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to work and tell you you're not crying no more. Is what, I mean, I'm, I'm killing the lyric. But I remember that lyric and I remember sitting with my mom and saying, I'm going to go get this thing. I'm going to go get this thing for our family. I'm going to show you what I can do to make sure that you don't feel this anymore. What was the impact before 14 in the early ages of Jason that really started that motor and helped it to be able to move? I'm going to be honest with you, Kelly. That's uh, and I mean, we can go there. I, you're probably the first person that's, uh, that, that's went that deep. Um, so one, I, I, I mean, I have lived in many places. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that as, as a young child that I was, in in one place any more than a year or two uh even if i was in the same community we still moved around when my parents divorced and then all the ugliness that goes with that and and i'm not trying to be disrespectful to my parents but but they were that classic divorced i mean we were the pawns in the middle that were that they were fighting and we would be used as as leverage going one way or the other uh, but my mom moved us to bloomington and because she wanted to start a new life and wanted to be a professional college student. Um, well, my dad took custody of us at 10 years old because he saw that my sister and I were having to raise ourselves. Uh, and at 10 years old, I mean, I know you get those, my grandpa walked five miles in the snow. Blah. Well, I mean, we lived in Bloomington and because we were on, on student housing, like there wasn't no school buses legit. I walked a mile a day to school. Uh, we did our own laundry. We made our own food. Um, and, and I mean, it was just like survival. You, you take care of yourself. I didn't know no different. It didn't affect me. I mean, I guess looking in later life, maybe. But as a kid, like, I mean, I'm, I'm still wrecking my bike and playing with the other kids. But no, mom wasn't necessarily like a great mother figure. She was off achieving her college credits and and today she's got three or four different degrees uh, and a, a phenomenally world experienced intelligent woman that 
I'm not mad at her. And, and today, if the woman was here right now, she'd probably put her arms around me and again, break out bawling like she beat me. And I'm because she had this wooden spoon and it was about that thick. Uh, and every time she broke it over me, uh, she just glue it back together. Um, that was, um, when my dad took custody of me, uh, he whooped me a couple times and finally he was like, boy, I'm tired of it hurting my hand more than it's hurting you. And then he broke out the belt. Uh, personally, I think that pain and fear can be a motivator to quit screwing up. Uh, I know that a lot of people feel differently about that in this day and age and generation. And, and I look at both of my parents and I'm like, don't apologize. I was a little shit and, and you were just parenting and, and dealing with and trying to correct the best way that you knew how. Uh, but the bigger point is when my dad took custody of me, he tried to slow down me growing up and, uh, and I wasn't having nothing of it. it. It was not like by, by 10 years old, I was looking at people working. Uh, and if you want to get something, you work for it. And, and my dad's a pretty, straight, narrow, strict individual. Like if you want to appreciate something, you earn it. You go out and work for it. You don't take it from others. You don't steal it from others. Uh, you, you get out and you earn it and you work for it. So that work ethic has been one of those things that was just always really, I want to say it was driven in me. It was driven in me by watching my father being able uh, and willing to work two and three and four jobs to put food on the table for my sister and I. I mean, there was a time where he took a fourth part-time job and came to work with me delivering pizzas at Pizza Hut because he was just trying to earn enough money so that we didn't have to be raised in the worst parts of Indianapolis. And he at least gave me somewhat of a safer area to grow up in. Uh, the work ethic was... That was what I observed. I didn't get a whole lot of words of wisdom. I, I got more yelling at me when because I was screwing up. But but his work ethic and doing the right thing and living up to your responsibilities, that's when I look back, that's the message that I saw, that a man lives up to his responsibilities, that a man is good for his word. And if a man creates children, then he does what he has to do to provide for those children. Uh, that's, I, and the funny thing is, is I can remember being younger years, looking at the old guys going, yeah, you're old school, I'm new school. And now I'm like, no, I, I'm old school. And I'm having a hard time understanding some of these new school principles. But uh I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we appreciate the, you know, the old school on the podcast, especially, I mean, here we, we appreciate it, man. I mean, to, to hear you speak about it and to be open, uh, be able to open up and be vulnerable that way, I think is, is, is amazing, man. Um, talk to us too. Uh, my brother said one time that, um, sometimes work ethic and focus and perseverance can hurt you. And I was like, wait a second, we were raised on work ethic, we were raised on perseverance, we were raised on all these things. And um, he said, you know, he said, well, think about Mexican boxers. Now, when I say this, I'm Mexican, so I'm half Mexican, my pop was full Mexican. And so when I say these things about uh, Mexican fighters, I'm allowed to because I'm Mexican. 
So I just want to tell you, uh, everybody out there, because of that. So he told me about the Mexican fighters, and they would be in the ring. He said, you know who uh, has the highest death rate in the ring? And I said, who? And he said, Mexican fighters, because a lot of times they will continue to take blows and not step out of the ring because they'll go and they'll go out on their sword. And he said that uh, he, my brother was telling me, he said, you have that trait and you need to be careful of it because there's times where you will go and go and go and go and not quit until you've taken so many blows that sometimes you can't recover from it. So with a person, with the type of perseverance that you have, how do you know when to say, I'm going to back out of this deal or I'm going to back out of this because it's going to be the most healthy thing for not only me but my future self like you were talking about? Where, where is that meter for you or, or, or do you have it and is it existent for you? Uh, so, I mean, towards that end, because I want to, the thing is, is, instinctively I go towards, I, I resonate with that because that's honorable. Uh, I mean, even if you end up dying on your sword, I, I, I understand that. Uh, on the practical side of it, I do realize, and I talk to my own team about it, about like, we're going to go down this rabbit hole. Um, we don't have to dig ourselves into a grave. There is a point that we can call no joy and be like, that this is not going to work out. I will, because I, I remember in the middle of a podcast and I saw one of the clips that got pulled out of it. And I was like, uh, I don't know how to quit. And, uh, and, and that's, there, there's been a couple of relationships that I probably should have quit, but <laughs> the point is, I don't know how to quit. Uh, all I can say is that uh, 49 times out of 50, not quitting and not knowing how to quit has been the right thing that has got me through to the other side. And, but it's that 50th that you kind of beat your head in and you're like, you know what? I kind of, you just got too emotionally invested in this and you probably should have quit and it should have, or, and it could have saved you some pain and heartache. Um, But by and large, I'm like the people that, because I still believe that that dichotomy is like when I get maddest, it's about people, but when I'm happiest, generally it's about that connectivity and people. It's that love hate relationship where, uh, you, I, I don't want to quit on people mm-hmm. and I don't want to quit on myself while knowing every once in a while you're going to wish you did. Uh, but I'm just not a regretful individual because I know that if you spend all your time looking backwards in regret, then you're not being introspective. You're not trying to learn the lesson. You're just being regretful. And all that is doing is taking your focus off today and, and obviously tomorrow. But that's where I'm balancing of don't focus too far into too many tomorrows because then you take your focus off of appreciating living and breathing today. Uh, and I've lost some friends, uh, at the blink of an eye and, uh, and, and it, it puts things in perspective that, um, like you're only guaranteed today. That's why they call it a present. I mean, that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And some of the healthiest people have died because of some of the most fluke things where I'm trying to lay a foundation for the future, but, uh, I'm trying to not lose sight of today. And when I look back in the past, I'm like, yeah, that one out of 50, it was wrong. I should have quit, but 
but the other 49 got me over the hump and uh and inevitable i mean nobody life is not fair that's not a reason not to live it uh and you're gonna make mistakes so okay i mean the 49 times i made the right call the 50th time i didn't make the right call oh well get up tomorrow and put one foot in front of the other i mean suck it up it's like it's not a reason there is nobody that lives a perfect life there is nobody that makes perfect decisions uh but i do for that sense of accountability um my, my mentor my one of my early mentors uh high character i like i am willing to do the right thing even if it means it's not in my best interest it's because it's the right thing even if it means i'm going to endure pain it's the right thing because the bigger picture is i got to be able to live with myself so i try and operate in high character and and i have my own personal code like i will say that i can say that i'm different and uh, i've even tooled with the word that uh that i'm deviant because i don't overly care about society's opinions uh mainly because i see a lot of things in society right now that i think okay well i think you're going the wrong direction because uh when you look at the world if you breed sensitivity and weakness well there are predators out there that are waiting to prey on that. And if America as a whole gets sensitive and weak, I promise you there are other countries just waiting for that moment. They're just waiting to eat us up. <coughs> I can't live like that. That's just, I have a code that I have to live by in order for me to hold myself accountable, in order for me to live with myself, because at the end of the day, this, this is my life. And, uh, and and when I die, I want people to step up and go, loved him or hate him. The dude was good for his word. He was 100% effort. Uh, he gave it his all. He And he didn't BS you. You always, because I've been that, like, I'll never stab you in the back. You, I'll never come at you from an angle. I'm not afraid of hard conversations, but I'm coming at you straight on because I'm not going to lose sleep thinking that I did some sly devious BS. Like if I got a problem with somebody, it's going to be a head on thing because once we get to the other side of it, I still got to live with myself and how I conduct myself. So I think one of the the questions that I think a lot of people have and I, and, and I have for you too, is when we are, I mean, you're, unbelievably focused and I want to congratulate you, man. I mean, to hear you and to, to be around, it's a, it's an honor. Um, how does this translate into relationships like personal relationships, whether it be marriage or with your kids or things like that? Because, um, you know, a lot of times I'll see a person that's super hard charging in business or super focused on a task. And then sometimes the, uh, you know, relationships will uh, be strained. Um, how are you able to communicate that to, to the family too? Because you have, I think that you're one of the best examples of it that I've seen where you have this amazing focus and drive, but also you have a reason why we talked about your son passing away. You have that behind you. You love your family. You, you know, you, you do that stuff. How does it impact the relationships in your life when you're as hard charging and what can some people be aware of so they don't run into some of the challenges? Okay. And this is, uh, this is where you're going to get that honesty. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want, man. That's what we want, okay, Jason. So, 
one, uh, when we're talking about my ex-wife, um, when my son died, the statistic automatically uh, was brought to me that 95% of uh, parents that lose a child divorce. Uh, so in that moment, uh, because it, the not quit thing doesn't have shit to do with business like that, that, that is just internally <clears throat> when they told me 95% of relationships fail, I was like, I'm going to be one of those 5%. Um, her and I divorced in 2001. Here we are in 2022. I mean, you know what? Things have not, it has been a, a roller coaster our entire time but neither one of us have quit on each other. And that that's where I've wondered where like, is this a relationship that I should have quit a long time ago? Could she have moved on with her life and found somebody else that would have made her happy? Could I have moved on and found somebody else that would have made me more happy, but I can still close my eyes or remember the, the first time that I put my eyes on her. But I mean, the, the, like I fell in love with this girl like as soon as I put my eyes on her, she was in the backseat of a red tempo. Uh, a buddy of mine's girlfriend was picking him up at the plant and I couldn't wait for him to get back from lunch. So I could say, who is that girl? Uh, and, uh, and once I met her, it was like, uh, yeah, it, 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 I think it's a healthy addiction, but you know what? Maybe it's, it's not the point being when it comes to her, we've, been on and off our entire life because we have never fully quit on each other and we've never found anybody else that is just like swept us off our feet uh we, like we still today are back and forth and it's the i don't know that we're good for each other but she's the mother of my children i'm the only one that knows what she went through she's the only one that knows who i am how i am and what i've went through and we have not uh, totally quit on each other. And even today, still trying. Now we get to my kids. My daughter don't like me. Um, a good amount of my, my life with my son, my son don't like me. They, the, here's how I reconcile it. One, I'm on pretty good terms with my son at this point. But I knew you lose a twin, <coughs> like, there's a connection there that that even me as a father losing a son, I'm not going to be able to fully understand what it's like for an identical twin to lose their other half. So I don't fully understand what he has go, been going through. I just know he has my genes in him and I'm like, boy, you're stronger than this. Don't act like you're dumb. I know that you're capable. So I have pushed him and I pushed his mother to say, Quit babying him. You're going to give him an excuse and you don't need somebody giving you excuses to back off in life or to not achieve. So when I look at my kids, they know I'm it's my personal code. Like I tell everybody that that I have a a dual culture inside of my business, family and team. But the, the distinction that I make is that when it comes to my family, I will not tolerate shit out of them that I would not tolerate out of somebody else. And I carry that through to my blood family. So when my blood family decides that they're going to do something stupid, I don't sweep it under the rug. Like you're either going to make amends or, or we're going to have a problem with each other forever because I've made it clear that 
if I let this slide, I'm only waiting until the next time you're going to expect me to let this slide. And I'm not willing to do that as a principled individual that I have to live my life. And I don't believe in sweeping shit under the rug. That's why my daughter is pissed at me. And that's why we haven't spoken in some time because some stupid shit went on and I'm not willing to sweep it under the rug. Nobody has tried to reconcile. Nobody's tried to own their shit. So I'm like, no, I don't care that your family principally, I'm not sweeping this under the rug because if I do, then you'll expect me to next time. And that's that slippery slope. But how do I reconcile it? Neither one of my kids are screw ups. They are both healthy, productive, contributing adults in our society. And they've got good heads on their shoulders. As a father, my responsibility was to raise them to be able to become adults and live in an unfair world. I've done my job. Am I the best father? Nope. Man, my uncle Greg, that dude is like the epitome of like, I could never be the type of father that that man has been and uh, three boys. And it is such a pleasure to be around him and his boys because he truly found that balance. He is an engineer and he's been able to provide for his family but he never let his work get in the way. He always made that personal time for that connection with his kids as to where my life with mine was very much a, like being a buddy, that's your mom's racket. I'm, I'm here to, to be a disciplinarian. I'm here to be honest with you. And I'm here to teach you how to be an adult. And, and like I said, contribute, be a good contributing member to society. And was I a perfect father? No, I was not. But again, my kids are adults and they're living on their own and they're good people and they don't suck off anybody. They work for their own. And to the best of my knowledge, they know stealing uh, is bad. You should earn it. They know talking bad about other people is hurting yourself mentally. So I have passed on the proper things that they need to be good adults and if they're pissed at me due to my principles and my code, oh, I can live with that. That's my job once I had kids was to raise them to be good adults. That was my number one job. And, and I think I lived up to my responsibility. And I also know that at, at, in the, my 20s, me and my dad butted heads bad. And I got into my 30s. And that light bulb went off that, you know what, nobody's perfect. And my dad just did the best that he knew how to do to live up to, to the responsibilities of, of the humans that he created. Uh, and now in my 40s, I have all the respect for my father in the world. I, I don't agree with all of his decisions, but it doesn't matter. That's his life. The man did everything he could to live up to the responsibilities that he made. Uh, and I have respect for him. And I don't get into the minutia of, oh, well, he did this wrong and he did this wrong, but he did this right. As far as I'm concerned, my father did his job. He raised me to, to not be a victim. He raised me to not feel entitled. He raised me to work and work through my problems because problems are always going to happen and you work through them. And you know what? Your parents are not perfect, but as long as they teach you those pillars and those 
core values and lessons to be a good member of society. Like I'm, I'm like, what you, you can't expect perfect. What more can you ask for? So yeah, honestly, I'm, my kids are not my biggest fan right now, but they're good adults. Well, I, I think it's amazing, man. And, and uh, so let's go back to the red tempo, right? Let's go back to the red tempo when you saw and you fell in love. Um, you saw your lady and, and you were like, man, I got to see her again. Um, and, you know, you said that, you know, things have been a bit strained and things like that. And so a lot of times, you know, in, in relationships we find or I've found that whether it be, you know, romantic relationships or just friendships, a lot of times one thing um, steps in and it just and it and then it and then it grows. We don't you know, we don't you hit things head on, but I, I'm not that great. So a lot of times I won't hit it exactly head on and then it becomes a little bit bigger and then it kind of festers and then we go highs and lows and all that stuff. If we were able to strip away everything right now like everything. And we were able to get your, it's your ex-wife right now, right? So we were going to be able to get your ex-wife in the room. She had on the same outfit that she was in the red tempo. And you were able to erase all the, 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 the stuff that was going on. And what would you say to her right now that she doesn't hear enough because a lot of times there's some words inside of us that we don't ever let go of and that we don't just tell them. And, and, and so what would that, like if you, if you look into the screen and, and say her name, what would you say to her if, if there wasn't any pushback, if there wasn't any like, hey, well, you did this also, so you can't be saying that. But you were just able to talk to her completely unfiltered and let her know. Because when you talked about her, you, everybody listening could tell that you love her that you love her at the highest level. And so what would, what would you say to her? And when I say, what would you say to her? Just talk to her in the screen and what does she not hear enough from you? Uh, and you know, that's because it's like, I, I'm a man, I'm a guy through and through, but I realized a long time ago that if you can't be a certain amount of vulnerable, then, then a woman's not going to know what you're thinking and, and how to, uh, to respond. And if we were going to split, I didn't want us to split by me not being honest and vulnerable and open about my feelings, uh, that, that Marsha knows that, that she has always been the one I have told, because, you know, I mean, the thing, I think jealousy gets in, in the way, uh, and it's, I think jealousy is an unhealthy emotion, whether it be coming from the man or the woman. Uh, but obviously when you split and get back together, there are other people that get in the middle of it. But, uh, but I've told her before, like, she's always been the one. She has always been the ideal. And that is why I don't feel like I've ever been able to get away from her. Because any time that I find another woman, I end up, well, she's not this and she's not this. And that I literally fell in love with her. And I mean, I know that that's kind of a uh, superficial thing. You just have to see her. I mean, like one of the most stunning women you have ever put your eyes on. Um, and, uh, and I mean, yeah, that's the, I, it's, I've tried to tell her that it, that it's an addiction. It's a healthy obsession. And to, to go deeper on that, to clarify with people like, uh, like the, the coffee junkies and pizza junkies. Okay. Like I don't have any use for heroin or cocaine or that shit is nothing compared to the drugs in your brain. And that woman 
is capable of setting off a mixture and a cocktail of drugs in my brain that give me just such a euphoria and bliss that no other woman has been able to replicate. Now, if we're being honest here, I will say she's also capable of setting off a tremendous amount of cortisol. (laughs) And therein lies the problem. Because she, I mean, the woman is capable of dopamine and serotonin and just a flooding of all of the great drugs in your brain. And I mean, and that's what I never let go of. And a lot of people will say, stop, um, look at the reality of what is stop chasing the potential. Okay. I can't let go of the woman that took care of me in my twenties, the woman that nurtured me, um, the woman that I went out into battle and when I came back beat up, she nursed me back to help to push me right back out into battle. Well, the thing is, she was that woman in her 20s. And a lot of people have made the argument that that woman died when, when Connor died. And and I can't seem to let go of, I know this is how she is capable of making me feel. I know that like most people, when you're 20 or 30 years under a relationship, you're like the old hag and we might have sex once every six months. And I'm looking at her going, I'm still as hot for you today as the day that I put my eyes on you. Like if you don't see that, that's not what you, that is natural. Most people get complacent and they get past that. No, she today still does that for me. And, and I look at that and I'm like, anything less than that is me settling and I'm not settling. It, either I'm going to have it or I'm going to be alone because I'm not going to settle with somebody else. I don't deserve that. And, and then I look at the, with the, I have walked away from other women because I realized no matter how they felt about me, I didn't feel that way about them. And that was not fair to them to be with a man that does not reciprocate those feelings naturally Because again, it's that code. I don't want to be with a woman under false pretenses. I don't want, I've I've had a lot of women that they're, they have been physically and emotionally attracted to me. Cool, but I don't feel the same way. And I'm not going to play those kind of games because again, I got to look at myself in the mirror. So if I'm not feeling that way, I'm not willing to do that. And I remember going all the way back into high school. I had a girlfriend that sobbing, crying, and then eventually pissed because I wouldn't tell her I loved her. And I'm like, those are very serious words. If I don't feel that way, I'm not willing to say that because I'm not going to lead you on. I will not play those kind of games. Now, I get later in life and I realized I did love that girl. It wasn't the same type of love that I felt for my first love. So I thought this isn't love, so I'm not willing to say it. You get a little bit more mature, you realize not all loves are created equal. And by all rights, we we had spent over two years together. And and I look back on, I did love her. But I've always been principled like that. I'm not going to lie to you. And in that moment, all I could tell myself was, 
well, this isn't the same feeling that I felt with Selena. So I must not love you. So I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to lie to you and I'm not going to play those games with you. I still that same way as an adult. I look at it and I'm like, I'm not going to play with another woman's emotions. If I don't feel that way about you, I'm not going to lie to you to get something out of you because then I got to live with myself and that's not operating in high character. Well, I think Jason, every single person out there, it's, is it Marsha or Martha? Marsha. Every person, every person out there, every person out there listening is like, they're throwing up likes and loves when you're talking about Marsha and you light up and you soften, man, when you talk about her. Let me ask you this. What would you be willing to give up to be able to be with Marsha? Like for you guys to be able to be together. If she came to you and said, look, I need you to take that, uh, you know, that, that drive that you have, which is, is awesome. But I want that same type of drive applied to our relationship or whatever it was. What would you be willing to give up? Because a lot of times, and I'm not saying that you have to, but a lot of times as men, we're just like, you know, I'm hard charging, I'm doing these things. And a woman is saying, like, I would just, like my wife said to me the other day, I get up every morning, or well, the last couple of days I haven't. I get up super early in the morning. I go to the beach and I read, I read and I write and I spend my time. And she told me the other day, she's like, I like to be able to snuggle in the morning. And it was tough on me because I was like, I, but I like going to the beach. And then I looked at it and I was like, but I love my wife. She really hot. I should not <laughs> complain about snuggling in the morning. So let's step out of the hardest uh, look, someone just said, they, they just commented that you glow when you talk about her, like you change your physical countenance changed. The, the Jason that was like, I will not quit. I'm going to build this to a billion dollar business. I am blue collar. I will make it happen. You started talking about Marsha and, and you were just like putty, right? So let me ask you this question. I asked it, but I didn't let you answer. What would you be willing to give up? to be able to be with Marsha? And, and that is, it, it's, it's a trick question. It's a loaded question because <laughs> I mean that that comment, because I've told her that's what pisses me off. Marsha is capable of melting me like butter. She knows me better than anybody else, but she uses that knowledge to really make me mad. She does not use that knowledge and ability to display to me, to herself, to the rest of the world that she has a power over me to she has the ability to calm me down. She has the ability to back me down. She has the ability for me to say, okay, <laughs> that's like she has the ability to melt me like butter. Uh, and the thing is, is like. I don't know that I'm, I don't, there's not anything that I'm necessarily willing to give up to be with her because I've told her it's a, uh, if you used everything that you knew about me to bring out my best, instead of using everything that you know about me to bring out my worst, everything would be different. She was very nurturing and that's, and I'm, I'm almost, I don't want to say fearful, but she knows like she bottles things up because she's a private person. So she doesn't talk about stuff. And I have to talk about it because I don't think that it's healthy for me to keep it bottled up. And I'm sitting there going, man, I don't know. She, 
she she could see this podcast and uh i mean and it could really go either way because i mean we're getting into some very personal things um but the thing is is i i've told her that if she spends her time finding ways to say no to me not finding ways to say yes to me and the woman that i fell in love with in my 20s like i was always looking for nurturing ways to say yes to me not trying to tell me or find a way to say no um i the the woman in my 20s would hang on me would like you when i see those couples where it is obvious that that woman is very proud of her man that she needs to be close to him uh like i'm like i i remember when marcia was that way i remember but as I told her this morning, there's so much water under the bridge that that I just wonder, are we able to ever find our way back to each other? Because ultimately, I want, like, because I've accused her and told her, you don't want me and you don't want anybody else to have me. You don't want me to be happy. And I'm sitting there imploring her going, if I can't make you happy, I want you to go find somebody that can because ultimately... I want you to be happy because I love this woman so much that if I can't make her happy, I want somebody else to make her happy because I know I'm a special guy. I mean, like I, I say that I'm simple, but I'm also complex and she appreciates my simple. She doesn't have an overall appreciation for my complex. She does not. She was very happy with me, generally speaking, when I worked at Chrysler, when I was uh, just a, a blue collar guy. Um, more often than not, she like she's not overly appreciative of, of, of the ambition uh, of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and she might say that that's not true. And it's just how I go about it, because it's I mean. Well, because once my brain gets firing, I mean, it's, yeah, I, it, it's simple yet complicated. Um, I love it, man. I love it. I think that only, only women that we love can twist and turn us the way that, that that is, man. And I'm not, I don't know, Marsha, I don't know your whole exact situation, but, um, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that are that are listening that are like, uh, let's 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 have her on the show. Let's bring this together. Uh, you know, they're talking about that. Let's switch gears real quick, because what what do you wish that your kids knew about you? Ooh, wow. I mean, the thing is, is I don't think uh, I, I don't at the end of the day, I don't think that they know I love them. They just, they're in that age where they think that they know it all, that that switch, like it was in my middle twenties where I was like, you thought, you know, it all, you don't know half of what you think, you know, and there's something that you can learn every day. Well, I'm still waiting for them to find, I guess, that humbling point in general. Um, So if there's something that, that I really wish that, that they, they're, I wrote a letter to them. And then once upon reading it again, I was like, no, nothing good's going to come out of this. If I, it's that I look at them and no, I remember being that age. And I remember thinking that my parents didn't know shit. Uh, And I also remember when that light bulb went off 
And then I remember getting to the later years where it was a realization of my parents were not perfect, not, not by far, but they did the best that they could do with what they knew how to do with the tools and the resources that they had to work with. Uh, my, I, I just don't know my, that I have reconciled. My kids don't ever have to like me. Um, I think deep down, I, I think my son loves me no matter what. And I probably the same for my daughter in general. How are they going to feel about me as far as liking me? Kelly, I mean, you can't deny the, the, the difference of the way this generation is coming at things like they don't, they have no appreciation for delayed gratification. They, they don't have any appreciation for, for grit and perseverance in something. Um, it's, it's all gotta be now, uh, research out the door. I'm going to Google it, uh, that I, everything has to, to come easy. Uh, and I know one generation always says that about the next generation, but there's a couple of us in our generations that, that the internet wasn't in the middle of it. Uh, and, and I mean, the internet has been a game changer, uh, across the board and, and I mean, there's. There's intended and unintended consequences that have come out of that. And, and my kids are part of that generation. And, and as I've had people remind me, uh, when I, if what I say looks like I'm judging my kids or the generation under me, ultimately it's my generation that's responsible for that. And I'm like, you're right. Uh, it is my generation that's responsible for that. My kids never struggled and that's to a detriment because I think that that struggle gives you a little bit of that grit and a little bit of a thick skin. Um, I think that that struggle is what is like, you know what? You're going to be offended. It's okay to be offended. That does not mean that you just have a right to cancel or silence somebody, that there are principles of life, principles this country was founded on that are, that are very important uh, and you know what, have a little bit of thick skin that that's like, again, cause life is not fair. That's not a reason not to live it. But if you walk around being overly sensitive about everything, then, then you're not doing yourself any favors mentally. And, and I believe in health. And when I say health, mental health, physical health, dental health, and gut health, like be kind to your future self take care and be responsible for all of your health. And, and, and that sensitivity that, that even my kids are going through. It's like, uh, where I started working full-time at such a young age, I told my kids, you got all the time to be an adult, just play, just be kids. So they were never really primed for getting out and working in adulthood until it was literally forced upon them when they was like, all right, you're 18. Like, I'm not liable for you anymore. It's time for you to start acting like an adult. And, and at that point, they're still very much in kid mode. And I'm like, no, now, now it's literally time to grow up. Well, I was primed for that. All of my, from 10 years old on, my kids got that pass. 
So I know I look at this generation and they're, they expect everything now and they expect it to come easy. And I'm, it's my fault. It's my generation's fault there. We did not instill any type of struggle or truly having to earn and work for it. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm not going to say that my generation like hardcore struggled, not like the baby boomers, <laughs> um, but I am preferable to generation X. I mean, for, for many reasons, I am a proud generation Xer. I mean, yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, Jason, because I, I think this is a, a question that, that a lot of people, um, have asked at times, but I want to ask you, how often um, did your dad say the words, I love you? And then how often did you say that to your kids? So to say to my dad showed it a thousand ways. He never said it. Okay. My mother said it a thousand times. She just didn't necessarily show it. I tried to find the balance. I tried to lead by example and show and always make sure that there was a certain amount of repetition. Because, I mean, my kids wanted me to just be there so that they could go run around and play and just know that dad was there waiting on them. And I'm like, I don't, that don't work for me. I told my kids many times, I love you. I will do anything for you, but I, I, I got to go work. I, I got to go do me. But if you ever need me, all you have to do is pick up the phone and call know that I love you, know that I will bend over backwards for you, but I just can't sit here and wait for you to decide that you need me in your life. I, I got to go work. I got to go pay the bills. And that makes sense. And that's makes, what I said that's yeah, it makes sense. No. And so as you're going through with the, uh, you know, with the kids and stuff like that, I had a kid, uh, one time, um, it was, it was, he's a millennial guy. And I, I said to him, I said, how do you feel about your generation being talked about the way that it is? And it was interesting to me because he said, um, I said, do you get offended? I said, do you get offended? He said, get offended by what? And I said, some of the words that are said. And he said, well, I always hear entitled. I hear, um, you know, that, that we don't work hard. We don't have work ethic. We, you know, all these things. And then he said something to me that really rocked me. And he said, um, a lot of people think about us as entitled, but we're just not willing to work dumb. And I said, whoa, whoa. And because here he's talking to me, he's talking to my generation. And I'm like, wait a second. I got a little offended. And he said, let me explain though. He said, you know, if there is a way um, and there is a path to be able to do 25 minutes of work in five minutes, I don't believe that that's lazy for me to do that. I believe it's smart and I'm not willing to, do the manual part that doesn't need to be done anymore. Not to mean that I, he said, and so he explained to me, he's like, I just work different. Like I work different. So the struggle for me is different. And, and he was like, and then he posed it on me. He's like, don't you want me to progress? Don't you want me to be further along than you? And it was like, it really shocked me because here I was saying, you know, uh, I was almost pointing at it and saying like, you know, comparing it. And he was saying, no, no, no. I'm just utilizing modern day tools and technology. I have the same principles and this kid is a high principle guy. Um, I still have the same principles, but I'm just using modern tools, uh, modern day tools and technology to be able to make it happen. And then he said to me, he was like, think about the phone that we're on right now. If, if I was to stay in that place where you're talking about, 
then I would have a string and a can or I would have an operator in between us saying, you would say a message and then she would connect me and she would say the message or it'd be a telegram or it'd be through horse and buggy. So when, when, when I bring up that part of it, what does that, like, what does that bring up with you? Because I, I agree with you. Like, I agree with you on the old school part of it and be able to bring. And then when he brought that, I was like, wow, this is a different perspective. I had to look at it from a different uh, point of view. What's your view on that? Well, I'm going to be honest. As you were saying that, my first thought was, and, and obviously I'm not, I'm not speaking to this guy because he, I mean, I, I, I highly doubt. I mean, obviously that's a pretty profound thought uh, in general. What I see is that that principle might be there. So they're like, oh, so this takes 25 minutes. I just found a way to do it in five minutes. So now I'm going to go sit on my ass and do nothing for 20 minutes. If this generation was looking at us going, hey, old timer, what takes you an hour, I can do in 10 minutes. So I'm about ready to blow your mind because over the next hour, I'm going to do what takes you to do six hours And over the next eight hours, I'm going to do what takes you 40 hours. And this generation became known as the most intelligent, productive generation. Then the the whole game would change. But that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that they're like, well, I found a shortcut. So that means I I get to set on my ass. I'm going to work one hour today. And you're going to pay me for eight hours. Well, don't be pissed when I'm sitting here going, great, I hired you to do work. You you did good work for that one hour, but you screwed me for seven hours. Okay, in their head, they're like, well, had somebody else done it, it might have taken them. I don't care about somebody else. I hired you and your character and your work ethic should be showing me you're capable of being more productive and I need to be finding ways to pay you more because you're more productive than the other individual. But that's not what I'm seeing out of them. They're doing it by and large to find a reason to be lazy and unproductive because technology allows them to do a couple and then go set and do nothing. And I'm like, that's just... To me, that's not good work ethic. I understand that a shovel digging a pool is going to take a freaking week and along comes a bulldozer and they do it inside of a couple scoops. I'm all about investing in equipment and technology. I love when I find a young, bright individual that will show me ways to be more productive and get it done better. The problem is their work ethic. They don't want to stick to it. They want it to come fast and easy. And most of them, just like what we're in this along this analogy, when they find out that they can't get that efficiency, because there are some things that it's just straight up an hour worth of work. There's no shortcut around it, even today. Oh, well, that's too hard. I give up. But that doesn't build character. Like there's nothing wrong with good old fashioned work, whether it be mental or physical. And it's like, no, either I can shortcut it so that I can go set down. Either it comes easy or I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm like, no, 
there are still some things in life that just takes good old fashioned hard work. Some of it is elbow grease. Some of it is intense thought and problem solving. Some of it is you try it 20 ways until you find the 21st way. But too often than not, that's delayed gratification and they're quicker to give up. And that's my frustration. My biggest frustration with the generation underneath me and people as a whole is that I always want to see the best in you. I want to see that potential of what you're capable of achieving. And I see so many of them fall so far short of their potential and what they're capable of. And that just depresses the shit out of me. You're, you're a genius, man. I mean, and being able to, if, for everyone out there listening and, and hearing, like in the event that you're able to take the work ethic, and this is what I'm hearing, what, what you're saying is if you're able to take the work ethic and you're able to take modern day tools and technology and be able to adapt them, then you become this, uh, like, you can't be touched in business. You can't be touched in, in life because you will put yourself so far ahead. Um, you know, so I, I, I love, I love your take on it. And I, I mean, honestly, with your voice, I could listen to you forever, man. Um, a question that's been asked and I asked this one time, but I, it was, I had asked it, but I hadn't been through it. So there's a difference between asking a question when you've been through that certain thing and asking a question because it's been asked before. Now in times past, I had asked it because it was a cool question and, I remember sitting on a uh, on a plane with a girl, and um, I was sitting with her, and you know we were talking about a bunch of different things and what was important to her and all these things. And then I said, "Well, imagine if you were sitting on your deathbed, and you had the top three people that were the most important to you in your life, and they were around you." And she was like, "Well, I have a larger family." I said, "So your whole family's in there." I said, "What are the top three things that you would tell them, and then when you were done telling them, you would expire and you would you would go to heaven?" And she thought for a second, and then she told me these things. Now, it was impactful. But for those of you who know me and have been riding with me on the podcast, been listening, you know that I experienced this December 19th, 2021, when my best friend and my pops passed away. And when I sat with him, he didn't tell me about the things that he wanted me to go and do. He didn't tell me about all the things that, uh, you know, um, I needed to accomplish or anything like that. He told me, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you forever, son. I'm going to walk right with you. He told me, love them babies, love your wife. And when I left him, I left that day. And then two days later, he, he, he moved on to heaven. So when I ask this question, it doesn't come from a, me reading it in a book. It comes from me experiencing it. And I'm sure, and I don't know if you've experienced it, but you might have. But let's take Jason to the end of his life. Let's take Jason to sitting in a hospital bed or wherever you want to expire. Maybe it's your chair. And you have your two kids with you and you have Marsha with you and they're standing around you. You get to tell them three things and then you expire. What are they going to be? I mean, uh, that, that's a very deep, profound question that, uh, that, I, that I feel like anything that I might say is, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. The first thing that actually comes to my mind is to tell them to leave. 
to go live their life. Do not sit here and sob on my life. Uh, I, 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 I don't know that, uh, I mean, anything that I would tell you is going to be like, I'm trying to be awe inspiring, but you know what, when you're up on death's door and you know it, I, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know what comes out of my mouth. Uh, I do know uh, that I would not want anybody to shed a tear uh, for my passing because everybody's got to live their own life. And I think that that's been one of the difficult things that my kids have had to grapple with is that as far as I'm concerned, I'm still young and virile. Like I'm still living my life. And if my kids think that I should stop living my life to help them live their life or to I'm supposed to do what they want me to do because they're the next generation. I'm like, I, I, I never moved over. Like I'm still living my own life and I'm not looking to live my life weeping uh, about the loss or somebody else's time and life expiring. Um, now that said, I don't think it's not natural for a parent to bury their child. Like it took me, it took me a couple of years before I could even talk about that. Um, so, I mean, there are certain things that you look at what's natural in life. Okay. Well, yeah, not natural uh, for a parent to have to bury their child. But when I look at this as, as uh, my kids looking at me and what am I going to say to them? It's like, my first thought is like, get, get out of here. We've, you've known me your entire life and I'm at the end of my life go live your life. And, uh, and I've tried to through the court, I'm not waiting until the very end through the course of my life. I've tried to impart the knowledge and the wisdom and talk about the experience I've gained and the lessons that I've learned. And, and I would hope that, uh, that I have said anything and everything wisdom wise that I can impart upon them long before my actual dying day. Uh, so I, I, I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be a, I love you and don't shed a tear over me. Uh, go, go live your own life to, to your fullest. I, that's, I just don't have any great words for you, man. <laughs> I think those are the great words, man. I think those are amazing words. And, uh, you know, I think you discount it, but, um, you know, the people out there listening, I want to, I want to touch on something, uh, quickly. Um, what would you say to, to people out there who have buried a child and are going through it? Maybe they're in it right now. Um, what words would you, would you say to them? Cause I have friends that are in that place and, um, you never expect it. Uh, and there's, I mean, people will try and comfort you and say, oh, but if you haven't gone through it, you don't know what it is. You've gone through it. Can you talk to those parents out there who have buried a child? Yep. Yeah, and the thing, and I will, everybody that is close to you is trying to find the right words don't be mad at them because they're trying to find the right words. They're finding it hard to fathom what you've been through. And they're just trying to be empathetic and trying to be there and support you. Uh, and that's for what other people might say in general. Cold, hard reality. Time is the only thing that heals. And it does not heal. It just puts distance between the the stinging pain of the event, it, it, like I 
I love my son. You want to know what I would trade? I would trade my entire entrepreneurial journey for my son. Time. <clears throat> Time just puts a little bit of distance between the occurrence and it allows you to continue living your life. So all you can do is get up and put one foot in front of the other and handle your business and live up to your responsibilities knowing time passes. If there's one thing that I think we can all agree on, the older you get, the faster time passes. So the simple fact is this is uh, 17 years now and it sucked the first five and then enough time passes that it just sucks a little bit less. For a long time, I went through life being numb. It took extreme pleasure for me to feel pleasure and extreme pain for me to feel pain. And at some point after about five years, I got out of the haze of that and got back to a semblance of normality. But the reality is it doesn't heal. Time passes and it's just a little less sensitive. Jason, let's flip this real quick. We just talked about, you know, which is a, a weird place to think about. Like, you know, when I when I say the, you know, you sitting on a uh, on your couch or in the hospital or wherever wherever it is. I don't want to sit in the hospital um, on my last days. But let's flip it. You got two children. If you got the news that within three days, both of them were going to be taken to heaven. What would be the conversation that you had with them? Man, I don't know if I, when I said, if, uh, because it would be within my power to virtually give them three days of experience, anything and everything that they could possibly want to experience. What I honestly, what I would say to them is, what do you want? What, what can I give you right now to make these next three days as living packed as possible what what can what do you want to celebrate these next three days of your life uh, having now been through it once uh if i was put up on that uh, a second and or a third time and i mean i i'm a god-loving god-fearing man i'm like don't do that to me <laughs> jesus uh yeah if I legitimately knew that I had three days, I would be like, um, what can I do? Where can we go? How can I make you live these next three days to feel life? Because life is about feeling. Life is about connectivity. And uh, and I would hope uh, that it wouldn't be a stuck in a in a hospital or in a room watching the the, the the degrading and the suffering over the next three days I would be doing anything and everything I could to uh, to see them smile I don't challenge a lot of people on the podcast but I'm gonna challenge you today Jason I'm gonna challenge you to keep that mentality of those three days because those kids need their daddy they need their daddy not to do anything, but they need their daddy to love them. And they need their daddy's forgiveness. And they need their daddy's love as much as possible. When I say that, my best friend with my pops, and uh, I'll give a, uh, man, 
I wouldn't give up my family, my kids and my wife. I'd give any damn thing I could to be able to have a second with them. And I believe that your kids feel that way about you, man. And uh, I'm going to challenge you, man, not to let a, another second go by that there's any little stuff. And they could be acting a fool, and they could have acted a fool. And I tell you, I did a lot, a lot of knucklehead stuff, and my dad still stayed in it. And, um, but I'd give anything to be able to have that moment with him. And I could tell you if they're listening out there, and I, I want you if, you, if you know his children, I want you to share this podcast with them because their daddy loves them. But sometimes we just need to hear, as a kid, we just need to hear that not conditionally, like you did this, but I still love you, that you just love us. And that grace and that grace that the Lord gives to us that's the thing that I'm going to challenge you to do because, man, that, that as you know more than anybody, that time is short. And so, um, Jason, I started the podcast because of people like you, man. I mean, I believe you're an icon. And I, when I started the podcast, I was like, I told people, I was like, I'm going to go out and get, like, you know, I'm going to go out and get the biggest names ever. And one of my friends taught, stopped me and said, you know what, some of the biggest names are in your neighborhood that no one's ever heard of. They're the people who work hard that sometimes don't get celebrated. And that's the reason why I want to celebrate you, Jason. And not to say that you don't get celebrated enough, but not just with your business, with pizza junkies and with coffee junkies and your entrepreneurial spirit and all those things. But I want to, I want to celebrate your heart. I want to celebrate your work ethic. I want to celebrate the human that you are. And I want to celebrate the jelly that you became when you started talking about Marsha and the jelly that you became when you started talking about your son who passed. And when you talked about your daughter and your uh, son and the lessons that you wanted them to learn and how they were going to be upstanding citizens in the community, I could see in you that there was some things that you just want to tell them. You just want to tell them, like, Daddy, like, Daddy loves you. And, um, but that's why I started the podcast, man, is because iconic people like yourself. And I wanted to show my kids that the Jasons of the world weren't superheroes, that the Jasons of the uh, world got kicked in the head at times, got hit while they were down, got smacked in business, got smacked in marriage, got smacked with their children, got smacked in life, got smacked with death. But they still had a phenomenal attitude and they were willing to forge forward and to show the next generation that they could make it through. And so what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? Maddox is 10 years, I actually just turned 11 yesterday, and McKenna is 13 years old. Maddox is a, 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 a marches to the beat of his own drum, and McKenna has a heart of gold, and just it, it loves anything and everything. She's my artsy kid. So, what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? If you could use both their names, it would be awesome. Wow, Maddox and McKenna. That <laughs> I. I mean, you're putting me on the spot because my thing is, is I'm like that. I wish more parents would raise their kids and not turn that over to society or school systems. Uh, I mean, phew. Uh, I mean, when you're saying Maddox marches the beat of his own drum, I'm like, uh, keep marching to the beat of your own drum. You be, you got to live your life uh, just when you make decisions, own your decisions. When things happen to you, nope, things are happening for you. 
own your decisions and always find uh, the, the lessons. And uh, and as far as McKenna, I'm sitting there going, um, I I had a girl that uh, that that she did it all right, man. She came into the store and worked for me for a couple years, and um, just a heart of gold. And is uh, is going into the military, and and I told her, I said. Um, Sadly, the honest truth is that you've now become property and uh, and they're going to use you to what they deem is the best of their ability. And you've got a heart of gold, please, in the midst of everything that you're going to be put through to don't lose sight of who you are. Uh, don't lose sight of that that warm and caring personality. Uh, so uh, if you're saying that that McKenna's got that personality, then I'm like, cling on to it. That that's the, that when we, I know we start talking about gender roles and I don't want to go deep down that rabbit hole, but the reality is a woman is supposed to be an emotional and a soft being. And she's supposed to, and a man is supposed to be a, a little of a harder being. And that's the beauty is that one is able to soften the other and the other is able to defend the other. And I just don't see anything wrong with that. Jason, I want to, I want to thank you so much, man. I want to thank you. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, I feel like in the last, you know, hour and 44 minutes, um, it's been a lifetime, man. And being able to spend the time and, and, and real conversations like real conversations like this is why, um, everyone out there that is listening, I want to thank you. Because you've helped us to be able to get into the top 1% globally of all podcasts. And it's been through no advertisement. It's been through no, you know, marketing. It's been through no techniques. It's been because we continue to have real conversations with real people who are real icons that I think of. The movie stars, although some of them can be an icon, to me aren't the icons. It's the people like Jason that are out there doing it, that are, that are the fabric of this country and the fabric of our culture that are the real heroes. And I want to thank every single person out there. I want to thank all the sponsors. Um, and also, too, and here's my shameless plug for my daughter, because my daughter is 13 years old, and uh, some of you know the story of her, but not every one of you do. She had a tough time through the pandemic time, like a lot of people did, uh, you know, things were challenging, all those things. She found drama. And through drama, her light came back on. And she didn't have a thing. She didn't have softball and she didn't have, uh, you know, she played a little football and she did, a, but she found drama. And this is what this girl wakes up to be able to do. She's got a drama, uh, uh, a spring musical that was going to be canceled because of the funding. And I told her and I committed to her. I said, I don't care what it takes, but we are going to raise that money. And when the teacher let us know it was 32000 my daughter looked at me like, Dad, that's a lot of money. And I said, no, I got a lot of cool friends. And I said, I don't care what I have to do. We will make sure that that $32,000 is donated to your school so you could do your musical because I know that drama turns your light on. And I not only wanted to do the musical because I wanted to do the musical, but I want to show her that whatever you lock your eyes onto, whatever you lock your jaws on, that you don't let go until you get the result that you want. And that's the principle that I want her to see her daddy doing right now. And so there's going to be a link in the bio. There's going to be Jason's links in there for all his websites and everything like that. But there's going to be a link in the bio that means the most to me. And it's donate to uh, McKenna's musical. 
and I don't ask for much. Um, but if it's a dollar, three dollars, fifty cents, whatever it is, then what I want to let you know is that I'm going to donate my, uh, I'm going to donate my book to you. I'm going to donate my audio book to you. I'm actually going to be working on a master class that I am only going to allow people to donate to the musical because we want to fund this thing. We're at uh, $6,400 when the podcast started of the 32000 and we've done this in a week, and I believe that we can do this, and I know that we will, and I am committed to it. And I want to thank every single person out there uh, that, that's sponsoring the podcast, uh, Samaritan's Feet, um, uh, Cardenas Law Group, Finley Law Group, um, Pink Cans for Cancer, Squeeze Dried, uh, uh, Solo.to. Every single one of you that has been with us, I want to thank you. And it's because of you that we're able to have icons like Jason on the podcast to be able to drop the bombs that he dropped. And Jason, you have been, I mean, unbelievable. I have cheered you on in this podcast. I have got chills. You have brought tears to my eyes today. And I just, I want to congratulate you on, on today, man. Kelly, I, I thank you for having me on. I mean, honestly, you started to pull a couple of tears out of me. This is a, <laughs> this has been a, a, a different podcast interview that, uh, but I mean, again, I told you, yeah, that's uh open book. Uh, there was no place we couldn't go. And uh, yeah, I mean, thank you. I, I, I have appreciated and enjoyed the entire time. Uh, and if there's, I mean, I, you know, that the, almost cliche at this point, but I'm like, if there's somebody out there that got value uh, out of what I said, that that's all I can do is uh, is put my experiences out there and, and hope that it has some type of positive effect. It has a massive positive effect, man. I can't wait to have you on again because I want to continue uh, to talk about this, these kind of subjects. But I, we also want to continue to watch Pizza Junkies and coffee junkies continue to grow, not because they're the best coffee in the world or the best pizza, which they might be, but because of the character behind the company. And that's what I want everyone out there listening to understand is that the people, the Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation, which I didn't mention, which is one of the sponsors of the show, these people, the only sponsors that we allow on this show and the only ones that we talk about is because the owners have the highest integrity and the businesses have the highest integrity. And I believe that that's the reason why things will succeed. And so I want to thank you, Jason. I mean, pizza junkies, coffee junkies. I mean, these are things that people can get behind and they can believe in it because of the vision that you have and the reason why you started it. But I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, brother. And I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. So you can't get rid of me, my brother. (laughs) I love you a ton, Jason. I can't wait to have you on again. You're officially off the hot seat.